0: One ring to rule them all, one ring to find them.
1: One ring to rule them all, one ring to find them. The wheel of time turns and ages come and
2: pass. The wheel of time turns
1: and ages come and pass. The wheel of time
2: turns and ages come and pass. Books from
0: Earth, a podcast. Relive your favorite books of fantasy, sci-fi, and apocalyptic stories. Yes, there are lots of spoilers. The spoiling is constant. Yes, there can be adult content. We are adults making content. Spoilers, adult content. Books from Earth, time to relive a favorite book. Welcome to the Books from Earth podcast featuring Serena Strauss's Reinception. A dystopian, somewhat post-apocalyptic, sci-fi, new adult genre, thought-provoking thriller. Today, we visit the above the catacombs, the floods, and relive Serena Strauss's Reinception on the Books from Earth podcast. I'm Josh, and I'm joined by my fellow Books from Earth podcaster, Maureen.
3: Hello!
0: And Maureen, today is a very special episode because we are very happy that at the end of the episode, we are going to have our interview with Serena Strauss, the author! Yes! It was awesome! Spoiler alert! (laughs) Oh my gosh, it was so wonderful to interview a great author of a great book
2: Mm -hmm. and like have somebody there to answer your questions that's 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 what i got out of it
0: (laughs) oh i know i know i did forget to ask her how to pronounce names oh i know oh we Uh. had the opportunity missed opportunity Uh. ah it's going up right up there with many other missed opportunities in life (laughs) (laughs) Uh, let's go back and revisit what this book is about in the year 2126, uh, the unmodded university student Leia Leah is navigating her morality about reinception, a technology that allows humans to modify their values and how they think and behave. She and her parents live in New York City, uh, though for the entirety of this book. Leah's parents are in Australia or New Zealand or someplace really far away. Leah's parents wanted Leah to choose whether she would be modified. While most parents, though, in that generation modified their children prior to when the children could decide themselves whether or not to be modified, which is age 20. The story opens on Leah's birthday when she's turning 20. And she and her friends have Left their comfortable homes in the above, which is the nice part of New York City that belongs to the upper and middle class, to travel to the below, where the prole lived. The prole were heavily modified humans who served served those who live in the above. Leah and her friends, and especially her boyfriend, Helen, uh, are there in the below to go to a protest. Against re- Reinception at the protest, bombs go off. Leah is separated from her friends, and she ends up being taken care of by a parole they had met at a bar in the below just before the protest. And his name is Ward, or that's what he calls himself anyway. With Ward's help, Leah returns to the above, only to find that her boyfriend has been modified by his parents probably against his will, and the modification was that he was going to be repulsed by Leah's presence and that he would now agree with Reinception. Leah's meeting of Ward and her horrifying realization of Helen's modification are the catalyst that turns Leah against Reinception. While she was stuck with Ward in the below after the bombings, Leah turned off her comm chip a commonly used implanted computer-like device that integrates with your neural network and the future's version of the internet, a detective, Isling, contacts Leah and questions her about her time in the blow right after the bombings. And Leah is visibly disturbed by the questioning and feels that Ward has some answers about the re Reinception, Isling, and what the heck is going on. So Leah goes back to the below and reconnects with Ward and thus begins her journey as part of an underground effort to subvert the government reinception after a thrilling chase to the catacombs and to the floods we discover a robust underground movement determined to free humanity from reinception's yoke
2: yay thank you Josh. that was an excellent summary. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You know, I can't read, to, I can't wait to read book two. <clears throat>
2: I know, me too. Oh because my goodness. It is on a cliffhanger. I know. Oh, and you pointed out something really good in the interview that I had missed, which I appreciate. So, yeah. Before we get to book two, we got to get through book one.
0: <laughs> and book one has plenty, plenty to talk about. You know, the, the biggest part of the book is this reinception technology. Mm-hmm. It's reminds us of Total Recall. Mm hmm reminded me of the movie inception oh yeah yeah mm-hmm. and it's this ability to change who you are yeah how you think what you value what you do you've got a bad habit you can get rid of it just go to ReInception. Mm-hmm. you know do the brain they it, you know goes into your brain and it like rewires how it thinks and it adjusts what you enjoy so that you will be different this is one of those things where you can see if the technology was actually invented how everybody would be into it.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: The lead in the book is to get rid of uh, pedo- pedophilia and drug addiction. Yep. Yes, right. Let's take this technology. Yay. Right, but then well, what happens? Yeah, it falls into it falls into the wrong hands. It just gets abused. I don't know how to how to say it. I mean, the, what happens to Helen is it's like mind raping. You know, he just gets he just gets completely. Right. Violated in who he is and what he values
2: because his parents throw him into the reinception. Right. So, yeah. So it brings up a lot of questions where the first is bodily autonomy, of course. And where what is the line in bodily autonomy? Because that there was a lot of things that really struck home with me and the themes in this book, you know, and, and one of the big ones was. What decisions parents can make for their children, what the value systems that they end up imparting on their kids in reinception. There are less like cisgender and heterosexuality is more common in the upper caste than it is in the proles. It's not because anybody's any different. There's not been that much genetic modification in 75 years. It's because parents are programming their kids that was one theme it's so pertinent to what we're doing today like what are the decisions that where's the line like is it okay to erase a child's identity like one of the things that really struck home to me was like the hormone inhibitors where are the consent things and it's like You lose so much, but it's going to make your child safe. So it's one of those things where it's like, okay, where is the line? And there was a lot of really good thought provoking questions on if a parent has the ability to make these decisions for their kids, what is the responsibility that comes along with that? And I really spent a lot of time in this book thinking about is this abuse You know, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? What is the line? What are the rules? And then on top of that, if you have something like Ozempic is big right now, it's like it's like Ozempic. You have this. And if you don't know what Ozempic is, Josh, it's basically an injection that kills all cravings in your body and people are using it. It was originally as a a, used as a diet diet. I'm sorry, it was originally used as a treatment for diabetes, but it also kills food cravings. oh, so yes, so it's being used to treat obesity, but it's nine thousand dollars a month if you Ooh. don't have insurance oh so right, so it's something that is literally out of reach for people who and they and they address this in the book too, where it's like if you're from a poorer. Class system. You don't have access to healthy food. You don't have access to fresh food like you've got like the food that is available to you is often lesser quality and higher in calories. You know, the Ozempic drug. What is the moral obligation that goes along with that? The people that need it most, they're not able to get it because like people from poorer classes that like need it for their diabetes there's now a run on the market with it because everybody that has the money to to get it
3: right without yeah.
2: insurance is getting it yeah and yeah, yeah it's what's the societal obligation
0: <laughs> it, we haven't well we have an interesting setup in reinception like at first i thought reinception was going to be like the curse of the upper class you know like Tell like expensive designer drugs or something like you you were just mentioning a drug. So because the upper class isn't going to be able to handle and use Reinception morally, they're only going to be able to use it for their sort of small minded, vain aims. And so as a result, folks in the above are going to basically have their humanity suppressed, and that's going to create a problem. Mm. Now, we don't see that problem too much in the book. Not too much, but there is some foreshadowing, I feel, in the book or an undercurrent in the book that when you're modified on the surface, your your character or whatever improves. But underneath, something is like going in the opposite direction and it's still swimming around in you somewhere. Right. So So I thought at first it was going to be, well – reinception is the curse of the upper class in the lower class the people in the below are actually going to be like the, the free people mm-hmm. yeah they're poorer yeah they don't get it yeah they get sort of the, the worst of that the system has to offer but they're free
3: mm-hmm. and
0: yet we learned that the pro are not free no. they have actually been subjugated by reinception more than more than the above and so it was a little twist because I was expecting, the lower class to be the free class, you know, like in more classic literature, where the people who have tons of money, you know, actually live these really encumbered lives, but the peasants, you know, get to live with the earth and live with the cycles and just be natural and they're free. Not in this book. Right. <laughs> and that's why wow. I think it's dystopian, you know, because everybody
2: is actually getting screwed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, this book is not meant to make middle class and poor people feel good about themselves. Not at all. <laughs> like, There's a lot of that, you know, there's a lot of that. But no, this book is absolutely meant to make you think and make you ask questions. And like, it's really, really good about that, where it's like, okay, yeah, no, you have that that thing going on with the upper classes, like you were saying, where modification is used for vanity purposes. But then once you get to the lower classes, it's used for um. Mind control, basically. Mind I mean, control. Basically, right. make these
0: people, they're the servants.
2: Breed stock. You know, yeah, yeah it's crazy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's even a question about Leah's parents, who in my mind throughout the whole book, I heroize, right? Because they did not modify their child. Mm-hmm. Right? So the whole book, I'm thinking these people are awesome. And Leah is a rare, rare one. Leah also doesn't appear to have any abnormalities. Or anything off the mainstream is a probably a better way. So I question whether or not Leah's parents, the narrator of the story says they made that decision out of some morality. Mm-hmm. However, they weren't confronted with a situation of someone acting, as far as we know, of Leah acting outside of main, you know, the the mainstream morality she doesn't appear to have adhd she's not you know she doesn't appear to have eating disorders leah and her parents do represent sort of i don't know what to me would be the the
2: the example exemplar morality
0: mm. and yet they weren't
2: tested right that's a good point like in and, and you're right we haven't seen leah's parents yet that may come up in the next couple books because clearly she's finding her way and finding out what her morals system is and what her value system is. A lot of times your value system matches with your parents, but sometimes it doesn't.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. You know, or it doesn't later in life.
2: <laughs> right. Well, and and the other thing: what if your parents have separate value systems? Mm. You know, because that happens too.
0: Well, you know, so, this is a good segue into. This genre that mm. is we haven't discussed on the on the podcast other, and any other episodes that we've already published. New adult. Yes. New adult genre, meaning the plot evolves around characters who have who have just kind of come into adulthood recently. Mm-hmm. They are not adolescents. It's not young adult where the characters are still growing into their responsible age. It's folks who are already adults, but they're new at it and they're still kind of establishing what their own morality is going to be, what their own values are.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I would argue that Leah has to grow up pretty fast.
2: Yes. Yep. <laughs> well, she's just one forced into it. away from growing up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. What I will, you know, the, one of the things about this book is I, the romance uh, between Leah and Ward it's, it sparks pretty early you know the tension between them and then you know we're in Leah's head you know then in, in most of this book we follow her around and so we know in her head and heart and her body she's having a response to Ward and she's attracted to him um, you know the, a, a, t- a little bit of a forbidden fruit but also you know I think his intention and his focus and his and in his intensity, she finds surprisingly refreshing. And part of the time, I can't tell if Leah is interested in the underground or Ward, mm-hmm. or both. It doesn't matter. You can be interested in both. And right.
2: I will tell you, Josh. Yeah. I love Pink Floyd, and it's because I had a boyfriend that liked Pink Floyd. <laughs> but when he was gone, I still like Pink Floyd. <laughs> right. Right, of course, of course, yes, yes, it can be both, <laughs> it can be both. Can be
0: both. Yeah. And, but think about new uh, the books in new adult fiction, uh, the genre has been criticized as basically soft, like soft porn books, like, okay. like romance books, but like, like just heavily oversexed, oversexed people. Now, I haven't read those books in the new adult genre, they're not the sci-fi fantasy post-apocalyptic new adult books. They're the the—they're the middle of the road new adult books, okay. uh, like Fifty Shades of Grey, kind of.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. These are actually the most popular new adult books. Got it. Got it. So this new adult, if this book is in the new adult genre, it is because Leah's a new adult. Mm-hmm. Her friends around her are new adults. And... They're struggling with the system. Uh they're they've accept they're no longer young adults rebelling against the system necessarily, at least at the beginning of the book, but they are trying to find their own relationship with the system. And Leah eventually decides that she wants to reject the system after she finds out some key information. <laughs> uh, uh, so she, that's what I'm saying. I think she kind of grows up fast. Like yeah. the, the next book. You know, what, what, how could the, how could it stay new adult? Um, It could stay new adult, I think, if she still thinks about her parents in sort of the, with that sort of fresh admiration of folks who have made it in adulthood, Mm -hmm. you know, as a new adult, we realize, oh my gosh, my parents actually pulled off some really hard stuff to keep jobs, feed the kids and all that. We, we start to come Mm -hmm. into appreciation of that and yeah. You know, I could see that continuing as the new adult, but I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious if we're going to graduate out of new adult as the books go along.
2: That's a good question. I don't know, like thinking on my own experience, it's like there, there were several key things, key points of development where it's like, you realize that maybe you realize that the world is not as nice as you thought it was. You realize that maybe your parents are, your parents are not perfect Then you realize that your parents did a lot better than you would have done under their circumstances. (laughs) (laughs) Then you realize that the only change that's going to happen has to come from you. Like, you can't wait around. Oh, that's got to be where she's going. The change has to come from you. Ah, I think you're right. I think we're (laughs) on to something. I like it. (laughs) Oh, this is good. Ah, uh, that's where we got to be going. It's gonna be a trilogy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> at least, at least, um, she's she's building out a world here, and that's one of the things I liked about the world. Um, uh, and her how the world just kept slowly and incrementally expanding, like a, at at a pace that I could digest it. One of the coolest ways she expanded the world was during the chase
2: scene. I thought. Yeah, that was awesome. That was. So fun. OK, all right, you go ahead. I know that was. No, it was, you it was. Go ahead.
0: It, the book kind of we're, we're wondering what's going on. We're finding out about the world. What's Leah going to do? You know, who's this ward guy? How are they getting in touch with people? And and then they, they trip into a chase accidentally.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: It wasn't intended. And all these things start opening up. So the catacombs open up. Prior to that, we've been in the above, which is like Manhattan above the flooded parts, right? Because the world's been flooded. but they So they just kind of built roads up above the flood level so that people could still live in Manhattan. And then the below is the ground that hadn't been flooded yet, but it's not the above. And it's dirtier, it's, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's the catacombs, which is where the, most of the chase takes place,
1: mm-hmm. which
0: is like the old subway system. And Ward has like memorized the catacombs and there's this chase at Isling and the fbi police whoever they are in this <laughs> dystopian world are chasing after ward and leah because we're not entirely sure why we know Isling wants ward for something we know that leah has on her a chip with bad information for reinception let's just say and that they're worthy of being chased <laughs> by reinception and or the government, <laughs> whoever it is. Uh and they go through and the world built out. We learn about the boatman. We learn about the librarian and more her role. We learn about the people at the bar and what their their involvement really was. And the, this world, this whole mysterious world of the catacombs and it, it was so vivid. Yeah. Never been in the catacombs. It was just so vivid and the doors they had to bust down and get through and the And eventually they get out of the catacombs and they have to run and they try to get into the water. And the chase literally takes you up to the neck in the water, you know, last possible moment. And at the last possible moment, Isling is like pulled away from the chase. Yeah. Now that. That couldn't have been coincidence. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we find that Isling like some there's there could be. There could be a higher up in the government that maybe is helping.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Or maybe I see. I thought that she I think that she might be the the mole, as it were. I thought it was Aisling that's going to end up being the mole, but maybe not. She could be working for someone higher up. I thought she was the underground movement placed within the organization. But I don't know. We'll find out.
0: uh it could be yes yeah, so this is good this is good there's many possibilities and you know at the end of the chase then they go through the the floods which mm-hmm. is the part of manhattan that is now underwater and right. that's where the 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 folks who have kind of dropped out the proles that have dropped out of society or the people from the above that couldn't make it in the above and for some reason got cast down mm-hmm. live and and those people almost started to strike me as the, the, the true free people, the people mm. who are really free, You mm. uh, see the truth. And, yes, they have to live in a type of poverty, yet they're happy because they're free. They have purpose. They're together. There's a unity there.
3: Mm. Uh, they took
0: the red pill. They took <laughs> the red pill. <laughs> yes, this is so red pill. Uh, and, and we find out, OK, this is what's happening in the floods. And then at the very end of the chase, sort of like the door opens and there is this very robust, connected underground
2: movement. Yeah. Yep. The, the end. The end. Mhm. Very. Uh, cool. Almost the end. There's a little. There's a scene
0: with Ward and.
2: She gets her stuff removed, and yeah, and yeah. the chips, and yeah.
0: And he, gets, <laughs> he gets his thing removed, and yeah. And then there's an Isling message. um so I just loved the chase because it was just, it was also well, not only was it thrilling and fun, just like as a pure chase scene, it could have been in any kind of book. It was just a great chase scene. It also just incrementally built built out the world. So naturally, yeah, and it, was, it was a great I've just never seen the the two plot devices work together like that.
2: OK, I loved and we talked a little bit about this in the interview. I loved how she did the world building through like the preludes to each chapter where it was the news snippets and the court cases and um, the historical accounts. And she, you're right. Like you're right. Her world building is very excellent where she'll take you in the little thing. She'll, she, you start with Leah's very small world and it's built very well. And that's all, you know, and you don't really have an inkling of anything else, but with that chase scene, It expands and it expands and expands and you start to realize it's not just, it's not, it's almost like, it's almost like her world does the new adult genre itself, where starts out very small and you start to realize that it's much bigger than what you have been introduced to. And there's a lot more there. I felt that that was done with the, the prequels where you hear the swear floods long before you're introduced to the fact that climate change has wiped out like the East coast and the West coast and started a civil war. And it's like, Oh yeah.
1: Okay. All
2: right. And she did that very, very well as well, where you start out with this little bit of information that you have about Reinception, but you start to get all of the backstory and the world around it and the things that happened because of it and how it came to be. Yeah. That was that was very neat. the so
0: every chapter had a little snippet. and I think there were at least three backstories covered by the snippets. Mm-hmm. I think one was, yeah, how did the world get to this place? How did we get to this place where there's a there's an above and a below and the and and so we learned about there was a civil war. there are the floods that triggered it. There was a virus that kind of contributed to it to to it and kind of everything kind of built up to there's a political polarity. Nope. And it all kind of built up to a civil war, which eventually was somehow stopped and everybody, I guess, you know, stopped fighting. Or, and it w- wasn't quite clear to me who, who, who won or lost. I mean, I guess everybody lost, but eventually the war stops. And then the other the other story covered with the snippets is Reinception, how mm-hmm. it started and how the founders of Reinception just wanted it to be used for like pedophilia, things that just couldn't. You know, couldn't the recidivism rate in pedophilia was so high that nothing worked, but Reinception could. And then the technology getting hijacked by the government, by other people who wanted to make tons of money. It's it's hard to tell. Yeah. Uh, and then the other snippet was Ward's Ward's background. Yeah. In the court case. Yeah. I, d- I kind of don't know why we should care about his backstory so much yet. Oh, no, no oh, yet Why we should care so much about his backstory. OK, because in the book, when in the main chapter, we just read who he is and mm-hmm. he's kind of a savant kind of type who's also pro really big. He's clearly <laughs> part of the underground. He does turn out to have his own agenda that is separate from the underground's agenda. But it's an admirable one nonetheless. Yeah. Um, he has his own aim, his own mm-hmm. autonomy. I guess his backstory that we learn in these beginning chapter snippets
2: just kind of, well, I don't know. I don't know what they do. Got it. So this is what I'm thinking. So he is Callum Gordon and whose sister was forcibly reinceptioned against her father's will and her will. I think what we're going to learn and why we need to care about that is because, She's probably the first one. It talks about it being the murder trial of, I think like her mom is on trial. Yeah. But I like the, the thing that I, it never went out and said that her mom did the murder. And I think what's going to happen is we find out that that like overwriting of the base of who she is caused her to snap caused kitty to snap Ooh. right ah. and that's where we're headed and that's like, kind of
0: covering for her by taking the hit maybe
2: or the, the trial is so important and his testimony is so important because it laid down the laws for reinception but what ended up happening was it ended up covering the covering up the fact that reinception if you do it and and overwrite who a person is in their core being there there's going to be a, a duality there that they cannot rectify and the, eventually the brain will snap so i think maybe my my best guess which of course you know what do i know <laughs> but my best guess is that kitty is actually the one that committed the murder and she's in hiding with all of that has to be figured out
0: like Ooh, wow yeah. that would be such a good uh mm. that would be such a good twist
2: yeah
4: mm-hmm.
0: okay let's see here let's do uh good hang bad hang okay
2: good uh, hang bad hang uh let's do
0: andromeda good hang or bad hang no no <laughs> <laughs> Right, I mean, she's just too full of herself. Or-
2: oh no, she's—it's too much drama. Like probably when I was in my 20s, it might have been a ball. You know what I mean? Like just a yeah. different, like a different crisis every day, all of our own making. That sounds like fun in my 20s, but I am in my mid-40s now, and no, that's too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: I—I—I'm not a new adult, so I don't think I can hang with the drama. I think she's got some new adult stuff going
2: on um yeah (laughs) i think she's an important character though in the future oh i think that her character is going places so we'll get to that when we get to casting okay It's gonna be really complicated yeah how about um leah good hang or bad hang i would say good hang because that age of like people finding out who they are as people it's really fun to hang out with them like because all they do is talk philosophy <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 they' There. That's. Uh, I think she
0: would be. I think she would be a good hang. It would feel very ordinary.
2: Yeah. Oh ordinary yeah.
0: Isling. We don't know much about Isling.
2: Uh. I would love to hang out with Isling
0: So you could find out what the heck she's doing.
2: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Well. Wow. But also, she seems crafty. I like crafty people. It, she is crafty, and she's
0: very brave yes yeah you know when she leaves every time there's a chase after ward she like leaves the team and goes off on her own which takes (laughs) balls ward good hang bad hang
2: Mm, i'm not really into the tortured so Uh, probably not a great hang for me yeah but if you liked angel from buffy the vampire slayer he's a great hang for that person
0: (laughs) Uh, good point good point yeah, I don't. Uh, I want him to be on my football team, but I don't know if I want to hang out with him. Um, I want him to fix my tech, but um, I admire his aim and his determination, his savviness. Mm-hmm. Um, if I wanted to tour the catacomb, definitely the guy I want giving me the tour. He's isolated.
2: Yeah. And, and he's it, got a lot going on.
0: Yeah. and he And it's in the book, he doesn't really have friends.
4: No, maybe have so kind of some artist. trauma therapy.
0: Like if you <laughs> could become his friend, he'd probably be really important to him. And it could be really cool because he would finally have a friend.
2: That's very true.
0: But it could be a lot of work, nearly impossible.
2: <laughs> you need Lea, to go in there with like <laughs> a true.
0: <laughs> but she's something I can't. <laughs> good hang, bad hang before he's re and And
2: again, he's kind of like,
0: no, <laughs> he's kind of like the caricature of the above in a way, yes, you know, yeah. probably just it's always been pleasant and good, and just some shallow shallowness, even though yes. he, he had his morality about reinception that attracted Leah.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I never really felt right that his, his his connection to it was like wards
2: <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> librarian.
2: Uh, cool. I love
0: crusty old women. I want to have, yeah, I want to have tea or coffee with the library.
2: Oh, absolutely. I, I love crusty old women. They are my favorite. Next to grumpy old men. I also love grumpy old men. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any grumpy old men in this? I don't. Yeah. There was a grumpy old man. Seba, um, the, the guy who, who
0: removed the device? Yeah. 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 He was cool. He was wise. You could just tell.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: all right. Did you have a favorite passage?
2: I did. All right. I can read a little bit from it. So, again, this goes back to a conversation where Ward and Leah are talking about reinception being used on people against their will. And it says she was, but she wasn't sure why and she didn't want him to know it. It's not that I'm surprised. It's that I haven't met many others, you know, like that. Sure you have. They just have been—they've just been modified to be something other than what their nature dictated. Shaking her head, she was about to say no and why, and of course, reinception isn't being used for that. It's just something that most people aren't. Before you answer, let me ask you something. We are born of the same, prole and non-prole. We are only 75 years out from this experiment with genetically modifying my caste. Do you really think there's any scientific reason? that there are fewer non-parole who are not cisgendered or who aren't heterosexual. Her mouth dropped open. It was something she'd wondered about, but this explanation that Reinception was to blame, it had never crossed her mind. But why not? If they could use Reinception to change someone's mind about one thing, they could use it to change her mind about anything. The worst part? No one she knew had been told by their parents that they'd been modified that way which meant that their parents simply weren't telling them. Suddenly she wanted to throw up. She put her face in her hands. God, I'm so low Q. All those years learning about Catherine's law in school and two-parent consent, and you think it would have crossed my mind that parents do such things. It always seemed like the kind of thing someone else would do. Not anyone I'd actually know. Poor Callum Gordon, all that sacrifice for nothing. Ward's voice was full of contempt. And here are your boyfriend's parents all these years later doing the same thing. I'm learning a lot the hard way these last few days. I went to the West End looking for answers. I wasn't quite prepared for how gullible I've been. Ward shrugged. A law like that, it was always another piece of paper to us, parole, anyhow. How do you mean? Parole can't modify their children even if they want to. Don't think it's because we're any less prejudiced, we're poorer. No point in a law to enforce something you don't have the freedom to do anyhow. I never thought of it that way. I really am soft-headed. No. Soft is closing your eyes to the truth. You don't know what the truth is, but you want to. Yes, she whispered. So there it is. And worse, she was starting to understand that she didn't have the half of it. And worse, he agreed. The deep black sadness of his eyes, bottomless. Hmm. Yikes. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of dark.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's dark. That's dark. That was a key scene. Very you could just feel the sinking of Leah from her like kind of nice, soft, kind of protected world and yeah. good good the good nature of everything and it's just it's just hit punching her in the gut these over the few days.
2: Yeah. You know what you know what it really reminds me of is Star Wars <laughs> and poor Luke. Luke and Leia. Ah. <laughs> yes. Yes, of course. Yeah. All right. Sorry, go ahead. No. What's your favorite passage, Josh? Luke was a new adult. Luke was a oh, new yeah. adult. Yeah, absolutely. Was Star Wars the original new adult fiction? No, I think it goes way farther okay. back than Star Wars. <laughs> I just, you know, anything I can tag to Star Wars.
0: Um, I'll tell you what, let's uh let's take to our commercial. Oh, yeah. And uh, then we'll come back and we'll do
1: Hollywood. This episode has been brought to you by Shadow Daycare, the country's largest and most prestigious vampire daycare. So thanks to Shadow Daycare for supporting the pod. Does your familiar need a vacation? If so, you need Shadow Daycare, the country's largest and preeminent vampire daycare, climate controlled coffins for the vampire in your life our undead loving franchisees will customize a vampire stay to meet their needs and to fit their budget we're not a one price one size fits all facility because just like the living vampires and their needs are different when turned they may have been young or old today they may be active or not so active social or non-social so why pay more For the all-inclusive rates and still not get what a vampire really needs. Sure, it takes more time to customize a stay, but we feel like vampires and their mortal caretakers are worth it. Shadow daycare allows bloodsuckers to choose from our many daytime boarding stay options, starting with a private coffin, sized just right for you. Of course, every window is completely blacked out. When you wake after the sunset, You can complete your daytime stay with a nice bit of a nice bite and suck on our young, healthy thralls. Many thralls to choose from. Virgins are even available for extra charge. And there's no mirrors anywhere on the premises. And of course, no crucifixes. None. Ever. So, come to Shadow Daycare for the ultimate vampire daycare stay services offered may vary within franchise locations on a nationwide basis for for more information go to www.shadowdaycare.com that's dot com. spelled just the way it sounds shadow daycare backslash books from earth tell them we sent you and you get a I'm looking here. Oh, you get an upgrade. Okay. So you do, you get that, the versions, which are normally an extra charge to bite and suck on them is free. So that's cool. Uh, one time, one night. So pretty good deal for all of our vampire listeners out there. Now back to the pot. Hollywood. Here we are.
0: We get to pick who we want, how we want to do it. And, uh, and our um, author interview of Serena Strauss, she'll give some of her opinions, <laughs> which matter what more.
2: Way more than ours do, casting. All right, I have a couple ideas. <laughs> all right, so for Leah, I do. I want to cast Iola Smart, who is up upcoming in The Wheel of Time as Avienda, my one of my favorite characters of all time. Um, but I saw her in Killing Eve. She's got a lot of like youth about her, but at the same time, if they've cast her as Avienda, she's going to be an absolute badass. And she's Shakespearean trained. And I think she was like, she's got chops. So that's my pick for Leah for Aisling. I want Dyken Lackman. She was in dollhouse as um, the absolute badass doll. She was in, oh, and and, yeah, dollhouse. This actually reminds me of dollhouse, (laughs) Um, but she was also in uh, altered carbon as the sister and she was recently what did I see her in recently she's recently in severance as uh one of the corporate happy ladies when I was thinking of casting Aisling I was like who do I think can be who's a really good actress who can kick some ass and run in high heels and I was like that woman nice (laughs) yes um but then so for Andromeda Here's the thing. I think Andromeda is eventually going to end up being a bad guy.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. And I am looking forward to that character's evolution. And I could be way, way off, but I needed somebody who was pretty like versatile in that way, who was going to be able to come in and be like the fun party girl, but then eventually end up being like a villain. And so I want Zendaya As Andromeda. I thought she would be a good choice. Uh, She's in Euphoria. She's in Spider-Man. Yeah, she's the it girl right now. Those are
0: excellent, excellent choices. Movie or TV show?
2: Uh, I 100% want this as a movie. I want it as a couple movies. What are some other series that have done a movie for each? Hunger Games. Hunger Games, yeah. Indeed. Uh,
0: I agree. I agree. And also with New Adult...
4: Mm-hmm.
0: i think to make it work you gotta go rated r
2: yeah absolutely well star wars did it <laughs> let's go back to star wars star wars did it um but yeah probably uh, get let's give it that freedom because also we're we're. it's probably gonna end up with a little bit of violence
0: yeah i so. think it's gonna get grosser and more violent as time goes on yeah. yeah we're almost at our interview but i thought we would do our rapid fire round okay good luck okay. to me maureen Yes. Do you want to be a pro or do you want to be a modified who lives in the above?
2: I don't want to be either. This world is really dark. <laughs> 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 to be Leah, who's not modified.
0: You know. I,
2: I think, I don't know. I don't like either. No, I don't want to live in this world. It's careful. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it is rough. It is rough. I mean, yeah. the, the proles are borderline doomed.
2: Yeah. And they're, well, they're all modified and above modified is also modified. They're just modified in a prettier way. Everybody's modified. I don't like it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's (laughs) right. I I don't know what I would choose either. I mean, the people who lived in the, in the marshes seemed like some of the freest, happiest people, but I just don't like live. I don't, I don't like brackish water.
2: Yeah. I don't, I do not have what it takes to live poor. No. (laughs) (laughs) So if I'm honest, I
0: probably, you know, there, there's a gun to my head, and it it's like, do you want to go up the elevator to the above, or do you want to stay here get down? I'm probably taking the elevator up.
2: Just, I, I understand that. That's who I am. I way,
0: yep. Way deep down inside, I'm a shallow person. Okay, uh, all right. Do you want to be chased
2: through sewers, or would you rather be chased through a forest fire? Sewers, 100%. That was cool. Like, okay. I like I could deal with that much better than with the a with fire.
0: Okay, yeah. Yep. Kind of like pro or above modified. I feel like they're both horrible choices. Both and, horrible choices, but there's
2: yeah. one that I can actually get out of.
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if I think like I sewers, forest fire. I won't
2: leave. <laughs> sewers are gross, right? Mm-hmm. But forest fire is you probably die. Yes.
0: That's oh, yeah. Choking and dying. Yeah, I'd rather get dirty than die.
2: Yeah, I can't run that fast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh come on, you you're you can run. You're a runner.
2: Mm hmm. No. I'm, I mean, I could I could go for a really long time, but it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe not
0: maybe not fast enough to
2: outrun a forest fire. OK, yeah. ultra running, just hiking.
0: <laughs> and we, we are we are recording this episode during the weirdest smoke storm that's ever hit the mid-Atlantic. Yes. Um, uh, OK, is a Isling bad.
3: No, no, yeah, she's going to be awesome here.
0: You said yeah. that earlier. Yeah, okay. I, I think she is. You know, I think you've convinced me. I think she's good. Mm-hmm. I think she's good, but maybe, maybe she—I don't know—maybe she's a little reckless. Okay. Hmm. Or something. I don't know. Okay. All
2: right. What makes this book special? I liked it because it's a lot of the questions. I so first off, I liked it because it's a lot of stuff that really made me think, and I can appreciate a book that takes the time. Well, it's my favorite thing, a book that takes the time to, like, present you with a question and a conundrum. And it's like, you really got to think about where you stand on that. You know, I really that's what really made this book special for me is there was just a lot to think about, a lot to chew on. And, and things that made me think about, you know, my own privileges and trying not to take those for granted.
0: We we experienced the book through Leah who is trying to decide for herself kind of where to stand about what's happening. And the presumption going into the story is that, yeah, there's this kind of nice technology Mm -hmm. and can get rid of some bad habits and help the world be a better place. And as the layers are pulled back to what's behind the technology and what's happened and what's happening today, and we start getting thoughts in our heads about, well, what, what else is happening what could happen tomorrow? We I found myself buying into the stand that the position that Leah takes, Mm -hmm. like wholeheartedly, like Mm -hmm. I believe in the resistance. And (laughs) to me, what makes the book special is that the side that I'm picking, I really believe in. Mm. And yes, that was done so well by presenting a question and letting me come to my own decision about that answer to that question and it also happens to be the main character's answer <laughs> <laughs> so now i just go on this journey rooting for the main character and i love books that are sometimes that clear
2: <laughs> oh yay yay
0: we're now going to turn to our interview of serena strauss what a privilege it is to have her participate on the books from earth podcast and without further ado here we go The Books from Earth podcast is very happy today to welcome Serena Strauss to the author interview series here at Books from Earth. And uh, we're joined by Maureen and Jack. And our guest, Serena. How are you doing today, Serena?
4: I'm good. How are you?
0: Right. We are very excited to have you on the podcast and to discuss your book,
3: Reinception. Josh, for those <laughs> listeners that can't see what's happening because it's an audio podcast, Josh <laughs> is holding up a picture of
0: the book. I'm <laughs> actually I'm wondering, White. Uh, so, so, uh, where where did you get your cover photograph to the book? Um, it looks I, so specific to your book. I,
4: I mean, I'd have to ask the cover artist, but it was there was a little bit of of kismet with the cover because me and the publisher both kind of had the same vision for it, so so that was that was pretty cool. And that, that one aspect that was really nice about, I think working with a smaller publisher is that I got a lot of input into what the cover would look like. So we both had this kind of, uh, there are a lot of, you know, the, the book was comp to total recall and there's a lot of, you know, total recall themes in there, I would say. So, um, we both had kind of that vision of the Reinception machine being like total recall-ish and, um, yeah and, and it was so that's kind of the cover idea we came up with and then I don't know the artist picked the model like I I don't know who she is.
0: <laughs> it looks like the model has red hair and I you know you're if I if I got it correctly your main character has red
3: hair.
4: She does. Yes. Um. <laughs> which as a redhead
3: always appreciated <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, Serena, how about we talk a little bit about uh, your background? I know you have your webpage, serenastrauss.com, and uh, a lot can be found on there. But uh, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit to our listeners?
4: Sure, I'd be happy to. So uh, as you said, I'm Serena Strauss. So I guess I could tell you my background in terms of how I got to writing. I'm actually a lawyer by training, and I still practice law. Um, And I began my career as a domestic violence and sex crimes prosecutor focusing on crimes against children I was working in the Bronx. So very different from what I'm I'm doing now legally and in writing But my first book was actually nonfiction It was called Bronx DA true stories from the sex crimes and domestic violence unit And I wrote that book kind of as a catharsis. I would say it's it started off as um I took a poetry class at uh, Sarah Lawrence, uh, which is near me. It's an amazing college with just a fantastic writing program. I took a summer writing program there just to get a little trauma out of my head, I would say. And I had no idea I was going to write a book. And it evolved. And one thing that I think I really learned in writing that book is that prosecutors are storytellers. So I didn't realize that all along... I had been telling stories and true stories, but stories nonetheless and stories I was trying to tell in a compelling way. And from there, I actually tried my hand at crime fiction, which before
1: before you go any further, did did it like I could have never done your job, like never, right? (laughs) Just that like everyone has different tolerances for different stuff, right? Like someone could take a lot of physical pain. Someone might take a lot of emotional pain, but like like I couldn't have taken the psychic pain that you had to be around, experience, and, and thankfully um, for the world, fight against. How Did writing a book help you heal, or or is that not how it works, or is it part of your, pro- like, Where how did it fit in?
4: It's a really interesting question. You know, I don't think anybody ever asked me the question quite that way. I don't really know if it helped me heal. I do feel like it kind of helped a lot of people understand what that world is like and and how difficult it can be. It's still the greatest and hardest job I ever had in most, most ways. It was where I think I've had the most profound impact on the world. I, you know, I still have my, I have kids now. I didn't have kids back then when I, I don't think I could have done it if I was yeah. a mom mm-hmm. at the time and my, I, my kids and my spouse will tell you that I can be a little neurotic, and I tell them with good reason. (laughs) But um, it it helped. but I think it helped to tell the story, and it it helped me to really be able to build awareness through the book and try to be a little more proactive rather than reactive. I, I think that was the hardest part about being a prosecutor was the damage was already done, and I was able to channel that into being a lot more proactive about child protection and preventing crimes against children and things like that.
3: The uh, There are so many themes in your book, and they are wonderful. And, like, I did have a summer where I did grand jury duty and did see a lot of those cases come up because the last hour of every day was reserved for the sex crimes and the crimes against children. And so one of the themes in your book that really jumped out at me was, Parental abuse, parental neglect, um, indoctrination, um, and how all of those things can, it was very, it's very well communicated in your book. The thing that jumped out at me the most was perhaps parental abuse with the thought behind it of love, where mm-hmm. it's like specifically, you know, the boyfriend's parents put him through reinception and they thought that they were doing the right thing. Why did you choose to make that, that I I felt like it was a the theme of your book, maybe it's not, but like why did you choose to like put that in the books? What do you what impact do you hope to make with writing about this particular aspect of human nature?
4: Well, so I think, a you know, a deep theme of the book is unintended consequences, and that's a piece of it that's, uh, you know, obviously really important to me. So I'm, I'm very glad that came across. And I think both as a former child abuse prosecutor and as a parent, I think a lot about I have two teenagers. Um, I think a lot, especially in the world they're living in, about privacy and autonomy and, their right to control their own bodies and decisions that we or the government or anyone else are making about what happens to their bodies. And that that's obviously something that is very, very present in in our discourse right now and in, in our politics. You know, I was trying not to be, it's not too hard to find out what my personal politics are if you look at, you know, <laughs> where I live and where I went to school and all that, but it that really- I did it.
1: I did it today. <laughs> I did it today. Like, let's use, let's find out a little bit more about Serena before we
4: talk to her. Yeah. I mean, I, I tried, no, I really didn't want the book to be preachy and it wasn't wasn't really about me standing on my soapbox and giving my opinion. What I really wanted to do is challenge people to think about the decisions they're making. So take something like a decision we might make today as a parent of a child with, um, ADHD and whether or not we're going to decide to um, intervene medically, I'm not taking a position about whether it's right or wrong. It's something that we do. It's something I think parents are normally doing with the best of intentions, making their decisions based on the information they have before them that other people are not privy to. And reinception kind of takes that to the next level. Okay, well, what if you could take away the medication, which a lot of parents have a lot of hesitation about and put them in a machine instead. Is that better? Is it worse? You've changed their brain. What are the potential consequences to that? So it's exploring a a lot of those things about um, this is a technology that has tremendous power for, for good. The inventor created it to cure addiction because he lost a child to addiction. And we put something like that out into the world that has tremendous power for good, and then we corrupt it or we misuse it or we abuse it. And tie that into my legal background, which is that the law can't account for everything. The laws, law is not a precision instrument. So there's only so much we can do to legislate for everything that is going to happen with how our technology evolves or how our society evolves. So. Really, I just wanted people thinking, think about the decisions you make today or the laws that you vote for today and how those things might not play out exactly how you think they're going to. And are you really going to be OK with that? And, and, and are you OK with it for the next generation? That's kind of where I was going.
3: And, well, and I think that you did it successfully because it felt like I didn't feel like I was being preached to or that it was being politicized. What I liked particularly was that everything was presented as a perfect question. And it and usually it would be like here's a page and here's the question and then two pages later the here's the question on the other side. And this book was you really did an excellent job I thought of making me stop and think about exactly what you said. What are the consequences of of my actions currently? Like and what happens if I I take an action and I do something that has unintended consequences? So thank you. And thank you for answering my question.
4: Thank you.
0: When you made the jump from nonfiction to fiction, did you have these this kind of aim in mind of raising these kinds of issues with readers and getting them to think about what a future may look like, a future that's on the edge of who knows, maybe a technological breakthrough like the one that you you have in your book? the Reinception technology?
4: I'd say there was a lot of years of, of um, hard work <laughs> to, to get to where I got. And, and I started uh, trying to write crime fiction, which seemed like the natural evolution and was kind of where the professionals I was working with were, were guiding me. And I, I wrote a crime novel and I don't know. Maybe it was okay. I shelved it. I didn't, I didn't really derive a lot of joy from it. Um, and I, I think that was for two reasons. One, I think it was too close to home. It's like, my husband loves crime shows, like, you know, law and order. I can't, I can't watch them. I can't stand them. I can't, I can't just sit there and enjoy them. And our joke is like, he'll put those on when he wants me to leave the room. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll go now. Um, and, you know, and I think the other reason is it's not what I love to read. So there, there's a select few crime novelists who I'll read who are writing much more literary crime, like Tana French. But generally, the genre I love and I, I enjoy is science fiction. And I love a lot of young adult literature. So I was like, why am I writing this? Because that was my professional background and not writing what I love. So so that was where this took me. I don't think I knew I was going to blend my legal background into it so much, but um, I've always loved sci fi. I've been reading it. Um, I, I kind of blame my brother. I have an older brother who loved like old, like black and white Godzilla stuff when we were little and Star Trek and Hulk. And he got to pick the TV shows because he's older. So that's what I had to watch. And I guess I learned to love it. <laughs>
1: So what what was your first first like sci-fi true love?
4: The Martian Chronicles. Okay. Oh, a classic. long time ago. A long time ago. <laughs> oh, I love Brie Bradbury. Bradbury. Oh my gosh. Yeah, oh, and I think was... I read it before I understood what it was at all. But um, and then my my daughter, her first science fiction love was um, All of Summer in a Day, which. She read with a tutor, so I was like, oh, <laughs> it's come full circle.
1: <laughs> so is it just sci-fi or is it sci-fi fantasy, sci- like sci-fi apocalyptic, space opera? Like, where's your sweet spot or do you have one?
4: I would generally say I will read almost anything that's well-written except romance. I, I, will, I do not enjoy romance novels. I'll read something with a romance. I love me a good romance subplot. But I don't like okay. romance novels.
1: Um, the I like only, steps. the only, the only romance novel. I mean, in college, I was probably assigned like, you know, something like that was romance esque. But did you read *The Time Traveler's Wife*? That's a major yeah. romance novel. Okay, you, is that a romance novel or a sci-fi novel?
4: Yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I had no idea. I was like, oh, it said sci-fi. I was like, this is this is false advertising. I mean, yes, it's sci-fi, but this is really like uh, the Notebook with time travel. Yes.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
3: And, it what,
4: where you read about? Yeah, like how they marketed it to you probably depends on where yeah. the ad popped up, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly.
1: You're like, then we're gonna get the, the the dudes who like Star Wars and Star Trek and stuff like that. We're gonna trick that guy into reading this <laughs> book. <Yeah>.
4: Exactly.
0: <laughs> Serena, when I was reading Reinception both times I was a little confused about the what I'm going to consider the two main characters motivations would you pronounce their names for us just so I mean there's Ward got it right
4: and Leandria
1: Leandria okay
4: you can call her Leah that's what her friends call her
1: so (laughs) (laughs) all right yeah Gosh, a, you can call her. She's a she's a fan of the pod, Josh. She follows up. <laughs> don't
4: you?
0: She definitely is. She definitely. Yeah. So, so Leah and Ward. And I was like, OK, is this book a book of people being motivated hormonally? <laughs> <laughs> and it just so happens along the way they take heroic actions because that's kind of what their hormones need them to do oh. or is this book about people with ideals or, you know, their own private agendas and along the way they find someone they like.
4: Okay. So I, it's easier to answer about Leah without spoilers. Um, it's a little harder to, to, to talk, to answer that for Ward without some spoilers. So I'll, I'll try. Spoilers through.
1: from this book. Cause we don't Birds care
4: from this book. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, spoil away. Spoil away. They've been warned.
4: As long as I know that. Yeah. And, I'm not going to spoil book two then because then I can come back and talk about that one. But, um, um, so Leah's is always been passively anti-reinception. So, you know, she grew up in a, in a home where her parents are modified, but they are anti, they're not really so much anti-reinception as they want her making her own decisions. And she's kind of walking that line where on the one hand she takes pride in in who she is and what she's accomplished, and this is how she's been raised, and on the other hand, stuff's a lot easier for the people around her than it is for her. So we enter the novel when she is struggling with this decision. Um, She's 20 years old. It's her birthday. It's the first day she's allowed to modify herself, and she's struggling with this decision about whether or not to modify herself. So I think easily she is—so there's a caste system in this future— and very clearly, she's opposed to the caste system. And she has mixed feelings about reinception. And there are these rumors about it that she doesn't really believe because information in that future society is very controlled. And she's kind of believed what she's been told. So for her, it's really, it, it's not about hormones. It's about the catalyst, which is that her boyfriend is forcibly reprogrammed so that he can no longer love her. And The reason he can no longer love her is he can no longer share her ideals about being opposed to the caste system and being anti-reinception. And it's the first time her eyes are really opened to what's really going on in the world, to the fact that people are modifying other people illegally or parents are modifying their children for things that they're not supposed to be modifying their children for and it makes her question her whole reality it makes her question everything she thinks she knows about the world and it also makes her want to know and to be able to prove whether or not the rumors about reinception are true so without going too far down down the rabbit hole there's a difference between changing what you do and changing who you are and what you do is you know, I, I eat too much, I don't exercise enough, I need to study harder. Um, your brain, if, if reinception changes your mind about those things, your brain can reconcile it. Whereas if you're changing someone's belief system, if you're changing their sexual preference, if you're, you know, if you're ch- trying to change their religion, those are things that are, are core to who they are, and their brain can't reconcile it. And there are rumors that it causes it can cause you to go crazy, basically. So when this thing happens to her boyfriend, and all of a sudden, like overnight, he's a different person in a way that should be illegal. She needs to understand the truth. So she she goes from passive to active to wanting to really understand what's happening and and take a stance. And I, I think that that's, you know, that's the main reason I had her in college is I think that's a really important time in our lives where we're discovering our power in the world and our autonomy. And that's kind of where she is. You know, Ward has a, a pretty complicated backstory. We don't really know who he is at the beginning. We know that he's hiding something. And Ward has his own agenda. Ward doesn't believe, Leah believes in good and bad, right? And and she's having that notion of the world challenge that, you know, people are, are generally good and parents don't want to hurt their kids. And, Um, Ward doesn't think that way he thinks that both sides are equally bad that neither side is really he's lived on both sides of society which is something she suspects but doesn't know and he doesn't really believe necessarily that either side can be redeemed and his agenda is to find his sister who he was separated from as a child do what he has to do to survive and get out of Dodge his notions about the pureness of kind of good and evil are challenged when he meets somebody who's actually willing to go out on a limb, risk herself, challenge the system. It kind of renews his faith in mankind a little bit, but we'll see how that goes for him. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Can I ask a question about your narrative device? Cause they were really cool. <laughs> well, I guess it's not a question they, I don't know. Anyway, I loved how they, at the beginning of every chapter, Because at the beginning of every chapter was the history of Reinception and how it got started and the the great, like, I loved how the great floods impacted your world and the world building. And that was such a clever framing device to be able to provide us with the necessary world building that Reinception takes place in. What did you, were you originally going to do that in another way? Like, how were you going to give us all of that necessary history? How did you come up with like the, oh, we're just going to do a little beginning at the beginning. Or we're going to do a little paragraph at the beginning of each chapter, a little history lesson at the beginning of each chapter to kind of give us, because not only that, it gave us the important pieces at the right time. It, yeah, it was just an excellent framing device. Can you talk a little bit about that? I loved it.
4: Oh, thank you so much. I I actually knew I was going to do that from the beginning. Um, I wish I had a really clever response as to why. It just was kind of in my head. I think, you know, world building is really challenging and it's difficult to avoid the temptation to data dump. And, And certainly that was still a lot of my editing was trying to figure out how to weave the world in to the narrative without, you know, dumping all the information on the reader at the beginning. So some of it's a device to give you like bits and pieces about what happened to the world over the last hundred years without dumping and hopefully just giving you small snippets. I would say if there was an inspiration, it was um I hope I'm not saying the wrong book because I read it so long ago, but you know, like you read something and it sticks with you even if it's not the book. I, I think it was the Robber Bride? Oh, no. Margaret At- It was. It's a Margaret Atwood okay. book. I might be getting the title. Which one is? Wrong.
1: Which Which one is it? I've th- I've read almost everything she's written. Which one is the Robber Bride? Because I, I, I don't necessarily. I might have the title.
4: title slightly wrong. it's The something something Bride? What's I, the story? I don't even remember. It was so long ago, but what I remember, what I remember is there was a lot of devices around newspaper clippings and letters. I mean, I must have read it like 15, 20 years ago, but there was, there were a lot of, yeah, just the way she used that device of the letters and the newspaper clippings and things like that. I found it to be a really rich way to inform the story. So, yeah, I guess without without completely remembering what the story was, I remember the device being being really um, effective.
3: And well, and that's the other thing is that doing that allowed those big surprises at the end of the book. You had all the information that you needed. It, it was you were tricked in a good way where it's like, oh, I should have seen that coming. And it's those are my favorite kind of surprises. And you did so well with that. Thank
1: you. <laughs> Would you say that Reinception, I'm going to use, is it? Is it? Is Reinception bad?
4: No. You know, I think like anything else, it has its pros and cons. And what you're dealing with here is a society that's facing, you know, it's a society altering, altering technology that can be used for powerful good or powerful bad. And I think a really good example like that, it, certainly this was in, informed by my, my background prosecuting sex crimes, was it's used on pedophiles. So pedophiles uh, are almost 100% recidivists. Yeah. What if you that. What if you could help them? I mean, there is there is brain science behind their brains mapping differently than a non-pedophile brain. If you could help them, if there was a machine that could reprogram them, basically free them, rewire their brains, make them safe to release into society, um, that that would be pretty compelling. If you if you had something that could cure addiction. Cure obesity, so it, it, it is a, a powerful tool for good. But then, of course, it, it's like all the AI we're talking about right now, right? That it's a two-edged, it's a two-edged sword, and inevitably, it would be misused and abused. And how do you, how do you keep the good and get rid of the bad, or can you? I think that's the ultimate question. Or do you just have to live with both?
1: Yeah, I think you have to live with both. And, and that's why I was trying to tee up that. Your, my question was trying to tee that up because like part of me said like, okay, in the right hands, this is a good tool in the wrong hands, it's a bad tool. But then earlier you were talking you said, once it's kind of put out into the universe into society, it's you've lost control of it anyway. It's just like it's not controllable like the internet or or EBT <laughs> Right. exactly.
4: Exactly.
0: We don't. Well, our society doesn't question the introduction of a new technology very much. And your book in your book, Serena, some of those opening chapter snippets were about uh, the creators of the technology pushing back against the people who wanted to use the technology for uh, purposes that the creators thought were a wrong use of the technology. And we see who wins that that pretty early on, once the technology is introduced, society doesn't slow down, doesn't have a gatekeeper at some point to say, hey, should we even introduce this technology? It's just, hey, it it has an application. Let's go. You know, ready, fire, aim. With Reinception, I wasn't clear either on what your view of Reinception was, uh, good or bad, but it does appear that it has fallen into the wrong hands.
4: Yes. Yeah. I think that's fair to say. Not only is it in the wrong hands and there is a lot of opportunity for misuse and abuse, but it's also become it's being weaponized and it's also become something that is available to people with the means and not available to people without the means. So, you know, if you can afford to treat yourself or your children or something like that for obesity or attention deficit or you know, whatever it is, then you have access to reinception and if you can't afford it, you don't. And then there are things that are made available, you know, regardless of whether you can afford it or not, because that's what, you know, the government has seen fit to make available to people because that's what they've decided is in society's best interest. So it, yeah, it's it's fallen into wrong hands and its, it's use is skewed. This is a very um, modification-heavy society. We modify our minds, we modify our bodies. And yeah, the rich get to pick how they modify themselves, and the the poor don't is kind of how it how how it ends up shaking out. Were there hints that maybe there's an army being created? Did I pick that up? There might be some hints of something like that. Book <laughs> too.
0: The chase, right, is a fair amount of the last third of the book. As an adrenaline junkie, one of my favorite parts of the book is this chase through the old subway tunnels the boat
3: oh
0: oh my gosh it was so fun and and the chase you know starts up above water and it it, it, and it ends just before basically they're rather neck deep and announcement that comes over the new york city announcement system is that Mm -hmm. leah and ward are wanted for treason which I found was interesting because their prime was to sneak some files off of a ReInception corporate guy, which typically isn't treasonous. That's just, you know, stealing something. Right. What, what's the leap? What's the leap to that being treason?
4: Well, you're going to find out a lot in the next two books. <laughs> there, there's. There's definitely some, you know, cliffhangers. But I I mean, I think you do get a good sense from the first book that the government and Reinception have become heavily intertwined. Um, And you start seeing that we were talking about the preambles earlier, you start seeing that as early as its use, um, the first uses outside of addiction are in the prison system and in places like Guantanamo Bay with, you know, with terrorists. So um, we know that we know that they're heavily intertwined and the the lines have blurred between the corporation and the government.
0: For your world building, I mean, how do you how do you even start? I mean, I have not authored a book, period, not to mention fiction. I mean, what 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 did you were you just scribbling on the back of napkins Were you, um, you know, was it all there in your mind, New York City? How did you do it?
4: Um, so, well, the idea for the book came in two ways. I was reading a book called *The Power of Habit* by Charles Duhigg, and I was also I came across an article in the papers about a process called transcranial magnetic stimulation, which is a, a tre- it's used in the treatment of depression quite successfully, and it's being explored in habit modification. So, I'm I'm by no means making any nav- negative comments about. That process—it um, seems to have a lot of pos- benefits and potential. I'm just going, <laughs> you know, taking it to the next level. So that—that that was the seed of the idea, and then it was thinking about how far we could take it if it became this really society-altering technology. And I, I did kind of go back and forth a little bit: how far in the future do I want to be? And 100 years is kind of random. It could have been 50, it could have been 75, but I wanted it to be far enough in the future that we were living in a distinctly different place and enough time had passed for us to be in a distinctly different place in, you know, in society and in the way that we operate and in what had happened to the world. We know that there's been another civil war in the United States and that things have have shaken out in a way that's restructured society, it's restructured politics, it's restructured our laws. So 100 years felt like the right amount of time to pass for a lot to have happened and a lot to have changed, but the world to still be recognizable. And then, you know, I said it in New York City, that's, I've been in New York since I was 10 years old. So I I consider myself a New Yorker. Um, I went to college at um, Barnard College, which is Part of Columbia University, it's where where Leah goes to college. So Columbia survived, yay! Um, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's still around. Love for the alma mater. <laughs> 300 years old by then. Um, it's so that's an environment that I spent my college years. So it was actually really fun to imagine what it would be like 100 years in the future once um, Manhattan has started taking on more and more water, which it's already doing. The subway systems are flooded and that was just really thinking about how we how we build our societies we build our societies on top of previous societies we use the infrastructure that was already there so i I kind of just imagine the infrastructure that's in manhattan now and how we would adapt you know once something our our whole network of, of travel has now been flooded and we can't use it anymore and Where are we going to get our food? How are we going to get around? Um, Are those tunnels just going to be abandoned or are they going to be used? So um, it was just really fun to kind of imagine the place I spent all those years and morph it and think about how Leah's world would look.
1: Oh, nice. Nice. how, How long did you and if this is somewhere I should have seen it, I apologize. How long did it take you to write the book?
4: Um, I mean, writing the book itself didn't take so long. It was the editing. (laughs) Okay. Um, And and then finding the right partner for it, honestly. Um, So it it only, it took me maybe six months to write it. And then I I was editing it probably for two years, you know, obviously not every single day, but going back and forth, changing things. For me, the biggest issue was the pacing. I I tend to write um, very very character-driven work. So making sure that the pacing was correct and that it kind of fit with the kind of book I was trying to tell, I had to work on a lot. And then, yeah, finding the right partner. I had a lot of interest in the book, but it falls into a weird category of new adult, which some Mm -hmm. people recognize and some people don't. Um, And agents and publishers have really mixed feelings about, and I, I had interest from a lot of people who either wanted me to write it up and make it solidly an adult novel or write it down and make it solidly a young adult novel.
1: I I, I read through it that way myself. Not not yeah. that I would ever recommend what, <laughs> that you would do something because I, I, who am I to do that? But I had the same thing. I think I might even talk to you about it, Josh. We,
0: we did because I was like, is this yeah. YA? or is this adult and when i got to some of the uh romantic scenes i was like this is this is a step above young adult they're just not longing after each other and then kissing and that's the end of the romance yeah. uh the description was a bit more vivid uh and uh but then i felt but i did i couldn't quite trip all the way in to just like regular old adult
1: that's perfect well, is look, there is there a it's new it's adult section the like
3: that? like topic was really the first like new adult kind of book like this and it's not it's not an unrecognized or new genre by any means and it squarely fits into that with pacing language structure all of that it's 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 quite nice and neatly into that genre so hmm, i support you yeah, it's a, yeah. It's,
4: new adult it's a real category it's just a category that is not you know it's not completely accepted in terms of where do you put things on the books sh- you know in the bookstore yeah. and um there, it, it's got a growing fan base because there is that gap between when you're in high school and when you're, you know, out of college where there's not a lot of books out there that are written for you, you know, you can think of a select few. There's a lot of movies. There's a lot of TV with characters who are that age, but not a lot of books.
1: There, um, are a, there is a ton of TV. Yeah. Yeah. A ton of it.
4: Yeah. So, um, and it, it was just, you know, I, I'm always, I'm very open to feedback. I want my books to be the best books they can be. I I get a lot of feedback when I'm writing them. So it wasn't about an unwillingness to take feedback or coaching. It was about what do I want this book to be? And is this going to make it a different book? And it was very important to me that Leah be in college because of the independence you're first getting and the decisions you have to make. And if you look at YA, like the number one thing you're often doing in YA science fiction or fantasy is trying to find a way to off the parents so that that the kids have autonomy. Right. And um, I didn't, I didn't necessarily like, I, you know, her parents are, aren't there, but college students, their parents aren't there. And it's, this is about her power in the world. And I think that that's so important. I think it's always important to, to young adults, but I think it's so important right now with everything this generation is facing for them to have role models in film and in literature and stuff like that who who can make a difference in the world, who, you know, who are exploring their power to make change. So it is just are, hoping, hopefully positive who, in a way. <laughs> who, are,
1: who are some of the role models that you that you would put in that class that you would want the kids today to look up to?
4: Oh, that's a really good question. Like in writing or just in the writing, world?
1: Because you said, yeah, yeah. I'm just kind of grabbing onto what you said about the, how how you feel that it's important. Like, like I can think of young adult pe- characters, right? That I think em- embody something I'd want my kids to be like. Um, but I was kind of curious what you thought in, in following up on the new adult theme.
4: Well, I guess, um, I mean, in literature, I think there's a lot of great characters, but my, my, it's not a problem with it, but I think a theme is that they often have some kind of power or some kind of background that makes them more than ordinary. So like Katniss Everdeen.
1: That's what I was thinking about. Yeah. That's exactly
4: what I think, Yeah. 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 I mean, she like, like I love those books. It, um, I, I think they're great. I think she's a really cool role model, especially, you know, for for young women. She doesn't have a superpower, but she kind of does have a superpower. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, she's got you know, she's been in the woods. She can hunt. She's you know, she can fend for herself. There aren't a lot of role models that are just like, I'm a regular person. How, you know, how how can I do anything? I'm incapable of anything. And that's kind of who Leah is at the beginning of the book. She's like, you know, I'll go to a protest. I'll wave a sign. But, you know, what can I really do to change the world? So I wanted her to be more real. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't think that there are a lot of role models like that. Mm -hmm. And and in the real world, like books like Malala... Um, you know, there are a couple examples like that in the real world of, of young adults who created massive change in the world, who are, you know, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And um, I just kind of wanted to see more of that, you know,
3: where her superpower is kind of her just her strong moral compass. Yeah. Yeah, yeah
4: exactly. That is her superpower.
3: Because really that in the end, that's what a lot of our superpowers is. <laughs>
4: Well, and in the end, her her being not modified is kind of what makes her extraordinary in this world. And she she has to kind of embrace that. I, I'm i actually in the middle of listening to um, Uglies, because a lot of people were comping the book to Uglies, like, out in the world, and I, I hadn't read it. Um, and I think uh, they're very different books, but there's that parallel in terms of... Um, being unmodified, being you know normal looking, like society's trying to tell you that it's you know that you're ugly, that you're you know that you're useless. And if you look at it in another way, and if you're freed from all of all of that input and all of that advertising to kind of look at yourself in a different way, maybe you're actually beautiful, you know?
1: Um, right. What would um I have two thoughts. Uh, I'll do the fun one. What other Books or stories, movies, shows that have modification that you really like, or that you think is, oh, that's such a good idea, or oh, that idea was stolen, or I'd like to do that, anything like that. <laughs> or?
4: Um, well, there's there's a lot of them. I mean, I, I th- a lot of my influence are more kind of like a little retro sci-fi. Straight on, Bring <laughs> it on. Like a lot of there's a lot of I think Philip. Dick influence in there. I got maybe a little, like we mentioned Total Recall, I got a little escape from New York in there, I think. Um, I definitely saw some escape from New York in there. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, those are the things I was kind of, you know, raised on and, and loved. Um, I guess like modification and AI are 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 in a lot of what we're seeing. Um, I get, I still get a lot of my recommendations from my brother. Um, he turned me on to The Expanse, which I loved. Um sure. And when I was actually when I was working with the narrator for Reinception, I I sent her to watch Expanse to talk about the accents of the belters. So there's, you know, there's a lot of augmentation modification in there. I've been meeting a lot of other authors who are writing in the, you know, young adult to adult sci fi and augmented realities and what they're writing and a middle grade book. I actually really got a, a kick out of that just came out recently was Hana Shu and the Ghost Crab Nation. And what was cool about that was we wrote totally different books for totally different audiences. And there was so much overlap in what we were predicting. Like she calls the brain modification meshing. We didn't know each other before. We didn't talk. We didn't compare notes. Uh, the amount of overlap was insane, which makes you kind of start to think that you know science fiction often predicts the future, right? And I don't think it's an accident that a lot of us are starting to write about about similar things and, and predict similar, you know, speculative futures. So that was kind of a fun but scary one to read too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and my son and I are listening to the Sith series. That one's good. I can keep going on. Like if you let me think long enough, I'll just just keep going.
3: I think Josh is
1: taking notes on books to bring to the pod. So yeah, you know, I, 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 I yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we, this podcast and this friendship is about people who like to give each other book recommendations. That's <laughs> basically what it is. So, um, yeah, keep going if you want. You know, run to it.
4: I get Well, my, one of my favorite books I've read, I, it might be off point to what you're asking me, but one of my favorite books that I've been recommending to everybody, and everybody loves it, no matter what genre they're into, was um, Dark Matter by Blake Crouch. That book just like
1: have seen
4: that, yeah. blew me away, blew me away. And I made my book club read it. And when I say made, it's like, depending on who picks the book, like I've got one friend, whenever she picks the book, I'm like, oh, I'm going to be so depressed this month. <laughs> 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 um, but they're not like they're not into sci fi. It's like I yeah, it's kind of it's like a sci fi thriller whatever. But um,
1: Dark Matter. Like,
4: dark matter just everybody loved it everybody i've given it to even my third my from my 13 year old son to my book club to my husband like knocked everybody's socks off
1: amazing did you ever did you ever read i'm gonna make a recommendation okay it's my favorite and i have made uh maureen and josh read it and i stood over them and forced them to read it (laughs) and they say they liked it but i they didn't sit they didn't do say it with enough enthusiasm so i don't believe them (laughs) um but it's the Hyperion Cantos. It's the four book, four books by um I'm
4: gonna write it down.
1: Dan Simmons. <laughs> by Dan Simmons, yeah. Hyperion Cantos. Okay. And there's some modification in there too. Some mod mod stuff, if you uh, but not like yours. It's totally different. Um and it's an older book, but it's great. I love it so much. It's the it's the sci-fi book I tell everybody they need to read. It's the yeah.
4: category
1: tales of sci-fi. Yes. Yeah. it's the Canterbury Tales of sci-fi. Yeah. yeah.
4: Well, and a good, I've, i the, I've the um, the Murderbot, the Murderbot. I
1: love, I love Murderbot.
4: Those are cool, and they Maureen,
1: there's have you read part. the Murderbot? <laughs> I
4: haven't uh, read Murderbot uh, yet. I'm sorry. No, it's all you.
1: It's all you. <laughs> yeah, it's
4: good. Murderbot's so cool, and they're really short, so like, yeah, you, it's, you don't have to feel like you've committed yourself to The Hobbit. You know, it's. <laughs>
3: so when
1: I got murder I didn't know I bought three titles at once and they were in a, and so I was like I thought it was a normal length book and then I fin, like I was on an airplane and I finished the first one and I was like oh that was it <laughs> I'm on my kindle so I didn't know so I was like dang and I just I'm like that's kind of a felt a little ripped off and I hit it and I'm like oh we got it oh there's
4: more <laughs> there's another one
1: yeah yeah it was great Murderbot's good. Good personality,
4: too. Very cool.
1: Serena, <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're, um, Books
0: from Earth gets, um, gets to cast movies and TV shows for, uh, their favorite books. Yeah. And so we'd, we'd like, you know, to give you a chance as an author to, to uh, think about movie. who you might cast in your book, uh, and, it may be helpful to ask, do we want it to be a TV series or a movie? Uh, and um, do you have any thoughts when you, I don't know, you watch other sci-fi TV shows, you like, that person would be a perfect Leah or a Ward or something like that. Have, have you had any thoughts for casting?
4: I've thought about this a lot. Um, and I, I, it's really tr- tricky because I view these characters as all multiracial and it's a future where you can actually change your appearance you can change your skin you can be multi-colored you know um and if you start trying to look out there for multiracial actors there aren't many so i feel that this will be an excellent film <laughs> for a lot of breakout <laughs> roles for new hollywood talent that um, i think is more reflective of of um what our future might look like. So, yeah, I think it would be the the characters like, you know, Leah and all her friends and and Ward are harder to cast because I just don't think they're well rep- represented right now, but I'm sure that they are out there looking for acting jobs. And I think that the place for more established actors would be in, in some of the older characters. Like, um, we may or may not meet Leah's parents in the future, um, Sebby, who's at the bar, you know, he could be somebody who's been I wouldn't mind meeting like Chris Hemsworth or somebody he could could play that role (laughs) um I got a few people I wouldn't mind playing that role um yeah so they're like uh, I think that's where I would put some of the more established um actors and I I think the other other characters would be breakout roles I don't know what do you guys think (laughs) Iola Smart
3: is Leah who Iola Smart
4: I also she's my, playing
3: avienda in upcoming wheel of time series so okay. she's a dark-skinned redhead woman she's amazing
4: i will check that out dark-skinned redheads are hard to come by
3: <laughs> we have a favorite
0: question here at books of Earth, and um we're wondering that if, if you could be any mythical or fantasy creature what would you pick what would
1: you be and why
4: well i, I mean i'd have to pick a mermaid because Serena. um <laughs> yeah and my my uh my daughter is lorelei so there's another mythical siren it's it's kind of a theme we're working with um not that we have anything against men or wanting to lure them to their deaths or anything but <laughs>
0: Or save them from shipwrecks, shipwrecks.
4: And they don't save them very much, do they? Like, I guess they could be nice mermaids. I don't know. The Lorelei exactly. is like the, the rock that ships crash against. <laughs> <laughs> and she's true. like, mom, what did you do to me? But um, uh, yeah, I feel like I feel like my my name has um, decided for me a little bit.
0: And, and you like scuba diving. So this could be a past life thing where you were a mermaid. Mm-hmm.
4: It could be You're trying
0: to recapture it through your scuba diving.
4: I do, and I always like I so, I would love to write a book at some point that ties that in. I haven't figured out what it'll be yet, but scuba diving is my great my great joy in life. It's,
3: it's I want to kinda... get some of your favorite scuba spots.
4: <laughs> Any, I, yeah. I I talk war stories, scuba spots, books.
3: <laughs>
4: yep. Galapagos. <laughs> oh, I- just got back from the
0: Galapagos. I couldn't go. I was so sad. Great diving. Great diving. If you had a... Um, maybe this is a question for everybody, just to be fair. we won't. If, <laughs> if you could have something re on you. Do you have something, you know...
1: I feel like I'm going to be... I'll answer because I'll give the most boring answer. And I'm going to fit in with like the 80% or 90% of people who would be picking the same thing which is healthy lifestyle. And I know you said earlier that's something that's a choice, not a, I forget exactly how you put it, but it sure does feel like a true characteristic, not a choice in my case. I eat indiscriminately like a tiger shark and I would like to change that.
3: I would like a better hearing and a softer voice.
1: I'm
0: trying to understand where I'm not to go for like the jackpot or just take something really superficial, like biting my fingernails. <laughs> the, the jackpot would be whatever it is this part of me that worries tries to control things that are uncontrollable you know wants to like be in denial about what's really happening or uh imagines what other people thinks about him but doesn't really know and then lives his whole life based on what other people think about him but doesn't even really know whatever that Whatever that is that kind of like came into my life sometime around age I don't know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And just with gathering force has only gotten stronger as life's gone on. Whatever that is, if that That's could be re-incepted out of me and I could just be like <laughs> a a child taking in the world every day, every moment like it's new and reacting with joy like, to things that are joyful. I, re- reacting, you know, with fear when something actually is fearful instead of when I'm imagining
1: it be fearful. That yeah, could be amazing. What, that's what I was gonna say, Josh. I think you still want that. You just want twenty percent of it or thirty percent of it. You don't want all of it. So may you know you want to put it on the diet. You need to be a little you need to be like somewhat concerned. Right. You need to be worried. You have kids. You've got a mortgage. You can't you can't be too laissez faire. What if we were all laissez faire?
0: Oh, be- <laughs> Would any of us need to be that way at all?
4: I don't know. See, now you need to read Uglies because
1: <laughs> we're on something. All right. So what about you, Serena?
4: Um, yeah, I mean, for, you'd think I would have something really clever to say after having r- written it. But I would say like, if my family picked, it would be for me to worry a little less. So maybe something similar to what Josh said. And if I picked, I'd go with healthy lifestyle too. Yeah, eat better, exercise, yeah. you know, instead, like focus more when I'm writing instead of getting sidetracked on like my social media or something, you know, all the all just like the good normal habits that are hard to hard to work for um, that. I think the potential positives, I guess that's the other question about Reinception. Is it better if you work for it or better if there's just a magic machine? I don't know.
1: <laughs> I do. I, I, I feel that it's better if you work for it. Would you rather win $20 million in the lottery or come up with an idea that you made up that's worth $19 million?
3: Hopefully a book. Yeah. I mean,
1: (laughs) yeah. Would you rather write a book, write a book that makes you $19 million or win 20 in the lottery?
4: Well, you know, hands down, I'd rather write the book, but if you're talking about whether I'd write, I'd rather like you know, if you've if you've spent um, this many years trying to develop good eating habits and somebody could, you haven't done it yet, maybe there's a point where you go, okay, just put me in the that's machine.
1: how I feel. Yeah. That's how I feel. Yeah.
4: I, I've done my job. I've tried my hardest, you know. And I don't know if it can make you a good writer.
1: No, no, probably not. Probably not. It can but I think you discipline is like
4: writing, but
1: one of the things a hidden skill that you must have, though, is discipline, or you would have never had your success, right? So that is something maybe you could reincept. Yeah. but uh, you obviously put the work in, and uh, put out a, a great piece of art that we got to enjoy.
4: Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate that.
0: <laughs> well, thank you, Serena, for for joining
1: us. Uh, we look forward to the sequel. Yeah, are you going to come back and talk to us about the sequel, or are you going to be too big Definitely. time for us? Okay.
4: All right. Definitely. Uh, I, I will wait until um, after full release. I'll send you guys the arcs, but then if we're going to do spoilers, we'll wait until it's out.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 Or we'll do it either way. We'll, or, I mean, okay. we'll, we'll do it either way. But well, we would love to have you back. Yeah.
4: Thank absolutely. You. I would love that. Thank you so much.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Serena.
0: And we'll get back to the podcast. This Books from Earth podcast featuring Reinception by Serena Strauss was excellent today because, well, the author joined us herself. We'd like to remind you to check out Shadow Daycare at ShadowDaycare.com. If you need a coffin, you need better care, you don't like crucifixes, Shadow Daycare, please check them out. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to subscribe, rate us, or visit our website BooksFromEarth.com. Earth makes great books. Come relive them with us. So long and until next time, all of you, modified or not. This is Josh and Maureen signing off.
4: Bye, everybody. Woo!